Hi, this is Ashley Farod, and you're listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. In this particular episode, Emma Batchelor is my guest. She is a writer, and in fact, I've been looking forward to talking to her for quite some time, ever since we reconnected at the Minister's Creative Council meetings. Emma has an interesting history. She began with dance, then moved into medical science concurrently, and then, as a bit of a move away from science, decided to give writing a go. She was working for a publication called This Is Canberra, and from there began her own publication called Leyden, which she ran from 2016 to 2019. After that ended, she decided to take a break and dive headfirst into writing her first novel, which came out in 2021. It is called Now That I See You, and it won the Australian Vogel Literary Award. It also was very well received. If you're interested in being a writer, perhaps in understanding how writers think and see the world, or if you're just interested in comms and journalism, then this is the podcast for you. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group for making this episode, and in fact all of them, possible, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Emma Batchelor on Behind the Bio. Emma, how are you going? Good, how are you going? Very well. Thanks for making the time to see me. Um, we were just talking about the Creative Council, the Minister's yes. Creative Council, uh, before we started to hit record. The Minister's Creative Council is, oh, I'm, I'm going to be stressed to say exactly what it is, but it's a <laughs> group of artists and people involved in the creative industries of Canberra, providing advice around kind of the future direction of Canberra being a creative capital. Um, and of course, that is that via city government as well. But what's really great about that is it's the opportunity I have there to um, meet a lot of working artists and other professionals in the industry. But it's where you and I reconnected again. Yes, <laughs> after years. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a funny thing. So I think when I went to see you um, and I did a home story on you, um, we were trying to work out how long ago that was, but that's when you still had Leyden magazine, which yes. we'll talk about in a moment. Um, that was kind of a, maybe the beginning part of me doing home stories before I went over to uh, Canberra. Yeah. Because it was with Alex when he had his... Um, what's uh, the business? This is Canberra. This is Canberra, yeah, when yeah. he had that under a slightly different uh, umbrella. Yes. Yeah, so it was a long time ago, but did we end up working out how long ago that was? I think it was five or six years. It was before the train went through in front it of It was. It was before, yes, it was still just dirt and no <laughs> Because <laughs> I remember you t- you're pointing out of your front window and saying yes. there'll be a tram going past here. And I was trying to imagine what that would look like. And I know, and now you can't imagine without it, yeah. right? Yeah, no, no, it's been fantastic. So, well, let's let's speak of that because my connection with you was uh, around the fact that you were doing that magazine, mm. um, and that magazine most certainly had a voice. Mm. Uh, I remember you had a, quite a few different articles. One of them went actually really far, and I hope no one minds me saying this, but there was an article that you were doing around Fash Fest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I remember that that conversation or the argument that you positioned in there around what is fair work and all the rest mm. of that um, went really far and got picked mm. up quite quite widely, which probably would have gained you quite a few eyeballs in the future. But mm. tell me about Leyden Magazine. So was that your first venture into professionally writing and having your own business or were you already doing that before? No, that was the first time I had done that. I came to writing kind of in my mid-20s, mm-hmm. completely by chance. 
I was a family friend of Alex's, Alex Trickolis, who had This Is Canberra, and he had said in passing to me that he would like to have someone cover Fash Fest, but none of the writers that he had kind of were interested in that or had a knowledge about that. And so I volunteered and I had... I decided that I wasn't going to pursue medicine, which was kind of the career path (laughs) that I was on at the time. And I wasn't really sure what I should be doing or what I wanted to be doing. And I was working just like a retail job. And when he said that to me, I was like, yeah, actually, I would really like to do that. And I went and I'd been going, I think it was the third year of Fash Fest then. And I'd Mm -hmm. gone to the others as just an attendee. Yep. And I've always been very interested in fashion. And I stayed up all that night and wrote something and I really enjoyed it. And I had, I don't know, just like some gut deep feeling that this was, this could be something. This was Mm. kind of like a thing I was meant to be doing. And then from there, I started writing about a few other things for him as well. But I realized, I don't know, I think I'm quite ambitious and the scope of things that I wanted to do just wasn't the right fit for Alex's publication and I naively thought I'll just start my own publication Mm -hmm. and figure that out. So I put together a bit of a business plan and a plan for what I would do and I talked to Alex about that and he was really helpful and it kind of went from there. So it was a very accidental, spontaneous Kind of, (laughs) yeah, pathway into it. But it grew pretty quickly because by the time we met and I did that home story on you, I'm quite sure you already had quite a few freelancers working with you on a regular basis. And and you were churning out quite a fair bit of content. Yeah, we were. It was a a really beautiful process. And I think um, my creative background is in dance, in contemporary dance. Oh, medicine, when I was dance. Young, I know. We've got, to, we've got to unpack this. <laughs> yes, there's lots, <laughs> lots to unpack. Um, and that's quite collaborative. So I think I, I really wanted to do something that was quite collaborative and I really enjoyed the process kind of behind the scenes of working with other writers and other creatives and photographers and designers and makeup artists and models. I really enjoyed... Yeah, working with them and supporting them to to highlight their work and to share their work with other people as well as yeah. my own writing. Yeah. So do you – because how long did you have Leyden for in the end? It was about four years okay. um, by the time I had to end and I had to stop because of a lot of things that were happening in my personal life sure. and I was very mentally unwell and I just didn't have the capacity – to keep going Mm. but out of that period came the manuscript for my first book Mm. so I guess I didn't I didn't stop writing it turned into something else but just because of everything that was going on I just had absolutely no capacity to kind of to manage a business with yeah yeah, multiple things and yeah yeah, yeah, try to attain uh, I guess commercial sensibility within that yeah and that was very very sad like I I grieved a lot for that and I I still miss it a lot but I think absolutely I learned so much and I was so privileged to work with so many beautiful people mm. and 
that's 100% shaped a lot of the writing that I do now. And I presume that the four years of writing, um, even though you must have already had a gift on it for it for the at the first time that Alex asked you to cover Fesh Fest many, many years before that, but I guess it's like writing is one of these skills that you constantly keep on sharpening. Um, so I, I think, you know, you've got better and better and maybe that's exactly what you needed in order to then become the writer of a book, you know. So yeah, I think yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a path there. Can you just go back for a second? Yeah. Sorry, where does, <laughs> where does dance fit into all of this? So when did you do that? Yeah, so I started dancing when I was four years old and my brother, who's three years younger than me, he's a professional dancer now and ah. has his own company in Europe. And he started dancing when he was five and I was eight. And we danced at just like a commercial dance school until my brother was about nine and we started dancing at, it's now called QL2 Centre for Youth Dance, but at the time it was the Australian Choreographic Centre. Mm -hmm. And they ran a program for boys because there just weren't many boys dancing at the time. So I think that was really exciting for my brother to, yeah, be in a room with lots of boys dancing as opposed to all girls. And it's like the movie, was it? Billy? Yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> Which yes. I've actually never seen, but I do know the storyline. Yes, yeah. yes. That's a very, um, he comes from like a very masculine, like yeah. non-creative background. Um, and through QL2, they ran programs for all kinds of kids as well so after he participated in that boys project and I saw the type of dancing he was doing I really wanted to do that too and so we both moved across there and we still danced at our dance school but then on the weekends and school holidays we were all in at QL2 and it's a youth dance company and what it really promotes is kind of artistic practice but for young people so it's not just dancing or learning a routine. It's thinking about dance as art and as an art form and kind of teaching you as a young person mm, yeah. how to make it and what that looks like and even what a career as a dancer might be. And so I did that up until my early 20s, actually. And my brother, he went to VCA and studied dance there. I had auditioned, but I didn't get in. <sighs> I know. <laughs> but as a... As a woman, there's just so many women studying dance right. and doing dance, so you're kind of one in a sea of many. And I hadn't, I didn't have a very strong ballet background. I had a very strong contemporary background, so I I understand why I didn't get in. Uh, but he went on to do that, and then I still danced with him for some years while I was at uni studying. Mm -hmm. And I kind of let that go in my mid-20s when my body, I guess I wasn't physically able to dance as much because mm. I hadn't been doing that full yeah. time. I hadn't been conditioning my body mm. that way. It was always something I was doing around other things. But those connections and then, yeah, still being a part of my brother's career and what that has turned into means, yeah, dance is still very, very important to mm -hmm. me, even though I don't do it anymore. Yeah, well, fair enough. I actually yeah. know quite a few people that are probably not at the level, actually most certainly not at the level you're discussing here, but that have taken on dance when they were young. Mm. And indeed, they, they find there's this moment. Actually, they've all said the exact same. They've had, they're all women, by the way, but they've mm. all said the same thing, that there was a choice they had to make in a lifestyle 
of a particular nature versus a complete commitment to dance. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and to them, they said, no, I, there's other things I need to pursue and I can't keep that kind of rigor and discipline and exercise. Um, and therefore, they, they drifted away from it. Um, so I, it makes perfect sense. I mean, we all change and yeah. you either force your body to stay in that lane yes. or not. I mean, <laughs> same, I guess presumably the same thing with athletes. It's probably no yes. different, right? Yeah, very similar, I would think. Yeah. And... I think a part of me always knew that it was going to be really hard for me to make it and to stand out. Yeah. Uh, and I think I saved myself some disappointment. <laughs> but I think now that I'm older and I reflect on it, I kind of regret it a bit and I wish I had, mm. like, I don't know. But I, I think know. these paths kind of lead to different <laughs> things. I yes. mean, you know, like I said, yeah. the, the challenges that we go through and the decisions we make. I mean, hey, you got close to a artistic community. Yeah. You, you still are. And, you know, we were speaking of the Minister's Creative Council yeah. before. You are representing them. Yes. Uh, and you needed to have that kind of proximity to be able to do so. Uh, on top of that, you know, the time that you need to write and the writer that you've become and will continue to mm. be, that's probably the choice, right? Yeah. I thank mean, could you. you I, do you know of any professionally <laughs> dancing people that are also great writers? Actually, one of my friends. Oh, damn it. I, was I know, I do. Oh, I was hoping that was going to I work. know, no, one of our lovely friends, Chloe Chignall, she's from Canberra too, and we grew up with her yeah. at QL2, and she lives in Brussels now, mm. and um, she has a choreographic practice, but mm-hmm. also a writing practice. And But her writings are very good, right? <laughs> it's wonderful. So I don't know, I wish, but I also, I don't, I guess I don't regret where I am now, mm. but. I think a part of me always wishes that I could have done that or I'd stuck with it. I'll tell you something funny. (laughs) I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I was in Europe, um, Mm. I was actually a child actor. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah, and I was in um, uh, three feature films, which (gasps) actually quite a big deal there at that time. Um, and oh anyway, the funny thing is, obviously, at the end of that series, it was like a three-part series, um, when that finished, I got off at another role, and that was exactly the moment uh, we got uh, approval to come to Australia, because oh. it took us quite some time to get out uh, due to various communist problems there. Yes. Um, but nevertheless, I, I sometimes wondered what would have been like if I actually continued that. Could I have been a good mm. actor? And it's funny, some part of me thinks, oh, I remember how great it felt to be famous enough to walk down in the, the city yeah, streets and, and, and especially you. kids recognising yeah, me and wow. saying hello and wanting autographs and stuff. And I thought that was great, you know. But then when I really reflect on this, would I have been a good actor? No. Mm. Uh, could, I'm not very good at remembering lines. That's number one. And mm. I think that's kind of a necessary thing. I could probably get into particular roles and do them very well, but I'm definitely not moldable in a way that yeah. true actors are. And, and I thought of it going, I, I shouldn't regret that. On the contrary, I should mm. really celebrate the fact that I had that chance. That was fun. But there was a good reason why that ended with my time in Europe. And, yeah. you know, here I am. Doing a podcast. Yeah. So anyway, so, so just to share it with you, I think it's yeah, easy for us so to think of things mm. in the kind of benefit of thinking what it would have been like if it was successful. Yes. But, and not to be a downer, but especially in very hard things such as yeah. being an actor or being a dancer, mm. the level of success there is quite low when it comes to yeah. the amount of people that are oh, in that space. Absolutely. So by that logic, 
perhaps we were just lucky to have done it, yeah, it being a big part, but we're not mm. actually involved in it and it's not kind of crushing us. So, so maybe mm. there's a reason why we're not in it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, And I don't think any child actors ever do that well. No. Here's, here's the other thing, yeah. <laughs> so who knows what would have happened to me. Maybe it's a very good thing that I escaped that Yeah, that pressure. you left when you did. Yeah, and mm. came here and I was no one. <laughs> Dose of reality. <laughs> anyway, um, that's great. And so, so medicine, so some presumably you'd switched into doing that post, the shift no, out of dance or at well, the same time? Kind of the same time. I was always... My dad is a theoretical physicist and a mathematician. Wow. So... Science and maths were kind of always important at home, I guess, and I was naturally quite good at them at school. So I kind of went through school really being encouraged in those areas and I think being a girl and um, being particularly in more scientific and maths classes, like I noticed I was encouraged a lot and, like, I won a couple of science prizes and it was just like all these little... things that kept kind of me thinking oh this is like a thing I'm good at and should do and when I got to time for university and I didn't get into VCA I'd also applied for ANU to study medical science and I did get into oh that's right the bachelor's degree that then leads you into the um yeah into postgraduate medicine and I kind of well I had to to make that choice because I didn't get into VCA but I think growing up with my brother and him being so talented as he was and he had a lot of professional opportunities as a young person and I think everyone knew (laughs) that he was going to be a successful dancer and so I think my family encouraged that and were accepting of that but I was always encouraged to like get a proper job and like have a stable career and oh, right. all okay. of that. That's a bit of a, a guarantee of yeah. life success kind of thing. Yeah, by having something that's and I, I, I guess I, I believe that, and I took that on, and I went to ANU and I studied medical science, and I did well, but I think I knew by my second year that my heart wasn't really in it and I was still dancing all at that point like in uni break and Hmm. um I did some work my brother had some work in Thailand and I went over and did that with him and I did some work in Melbourne so like I still did a lot of dance work during that time so I was never wholly invested in science And then I tried to defer. I had like pre-entry into postgraduate medicine and I tried to defer that so I could go and do some other things. So you completed the um, the bachelor? I I completed my bachelor and they wouldn't let me defer my entry into postgraduate. So I just let that go. And then I took another gap year and did more dance. And then after that, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? So I did my honours at the John Curtin School of Medical Research and I did it in immunology, so looking at a particular type of cancer. And that year was horrific. And I was in a very, like, high-powered lab. Mostly everyone was male. I did a lot of mouse work, Mm. which was quite upsetting. Sorry, which year would have that been? Um, gosh, maybe 2015, maybe later. 
Wow. I'm 34 now, so I think I might have been like 24 at the time. So yeah, maybe 2013. So I would have been, I would have been at ANU then. Yeah. And I worked ah. across the road from John Curtin School of oh, Medical did Research, you? the building that was what well, they called the Innovation Centre, but it wasn't. Oh um, yes. Opposite, literally John Curtin, what, what that yeah, looks yeah, onto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My I office know. was just on the right. Yes. I used to walk oh, past that every wow. morning. Oh, well, I was go. there every day. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Just, just realised I was yes. crossing a different way. <laughs> That's very Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I um to do some of the experiments I was doing, I'd have to be there at like four a.m. Yep. and like often I couldn't like take a break even to eat because like if my se- cells were like left alone for too long, it would ruin the whole thing. So it was just very very stressful. I was very sick and anxious the whole time, and at the end I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Like I. I don't. I did. I knew by then I didn't want to be a doctor. Doctor. I knew then like I a didn't GP like. Well, like to have gone on and done postgraduate okay. medicine, like a lot of my friends did. And then after doing that honors year, I was like, okay, I do not want to be an academic. And then I was like, I don't think I wanted like pursue science at all in sure. any way. And so that's kind of when I was just like, I'll just get a job. <laughs> I'll just earn some money. I'll just think about what it was I want to do. And I think it was my second year of doing that when Alex asked me to start. And that's where we got to from the beginning. Yeah? Yes. It's amazing. Yes. It's just out of curiosity. I mean, you said that your brother's very successful in mm. the dance side of things. Did he also have this, what is somewhat an unstereotypical um, quality of being able to lean into creative and science? At the same time, because, I mean, really, that's interesting to hear that obviously you start off with dance and, and took it quite far, more than yeah. most have. Clearly, there's you've got quite a brain if you get doing stuff on John Curtin, <laughs> even, <laughs> even at the level that, you know, you didn't particularly like. But, you know, that's that's mm. no small feat. So you're clearly very much in that space, too. Mm. And now, you know, a celebrated writer. Did he also have those qualities? Yeah, oh, he right. was always... He's he, must, very, he must have some great genes in yeah. the family. <laughs> yeah, our dad is like pretty genius level um, stuff. Um, yeah, he was very smart too and did very well academically. We were oh, always great. very, um, very academic, both of us. And But he studied mostly arts and history and things mm-hmm. like that. So he didn't really go down the pure science route that I did. but. But he had that ability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. That's interesting. Um, that, yeah. That, because I think, well, uh, maybe it's, again, leaning into stereotypes here, but just because I work with a lot of people in comms, yeah. um, you know, they come from a desire to have something to do with language or writing or yes. presentation or whatever, that communications yes. field, pretty much from a relatively early age. Yeah. And they don't tend to lean into the other aspect of it. Most of them aren't from a scientific background uh, or have interest in that. Most certainly mathematics is scary and we're trying not yeah. to add too many numbers together <laughs> so they don't get too large. Yeah, it's a stereotype I know. And of course, that's not everyone. But most certainly when it comes to the comms space, I would say most people gravitate to that through creativity and language yeah. um, rather than most certainly the, the sciences. Yeah, and certainly that was what I found because I, when I was, I'd been working some retail jobs for a while and then I thought I'd probably like to have a job in a comms kind of role yeah. when I'd started writing for Alex. And it was almost impossible for me to get a job because like I didn't have that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> background. Like, um, like, yeah, exactly. What's all this medical stuff yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> Sure. So I think 
those skills were so helpful to me when I was studying science because, like, I guess those stereotypes do exist for a reason. And it was my experience, too, that I found a lot of people weren't very good communicators, (laughs) couldn't make their work interesting or accessible, couldn't speak to their work. We used to have to spend, like, a couple hours every week listening to everybody, like, talk about what their work was and nobody, well, with very few exceptions, could talk about it. But those seem to be things that I was good at and I think mm. also helped me be successful in that way. But then, yeah, trying to get mm. paid work doing something I'm in a more traditional sorry, I'm surprised role. in a way, though, because um, the blow-up of science communications, yes. both as a discipline but also as a force in, in journalism and everything else. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know when it kicked off. But it must have been after because it wasn't yeah, really I was just saying, But you must have been so close. There. Yeah. Because you could, you could imagine the situation yes. where you could have quite oh. easily put those two together. Yes. I mean, there are some very notable names in Australia and the world who essentially made a career out of being exceptionally good science communicators. Yeah, like Knowing Brian the Cross. science. But knowing how to digest it in such a way, sorry, to make it easier to digest for others. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that probably started becoming more of a thing after I left. Okay. Because, yeah, certainly while I was particularly at John Curtin. Yeah, didn't quite exist. (laughs) Not really a thing. Yeah. Mm. And so if I kind of go to the point in that conversation we're talking about later and then ultimately um, the experiences post that finishing Mm. leading to the book that you wrote, Mm. would I be right to assume that the difference in how you see yourself or maybe professionally, you know, credit yourself, so to speak, is that when you're in Leiden you were either a content creator or a journalist, Mm. but then you turned into a writer? Yes, I think so. And I think I felt a lot of... um I guess imposter syndrome when I had Leiden because, again, like I came to that not having, you know, that's not what I studied, that's not what my professional background was and I was figuring that out as I went. And so I I felt, yeah, I guess a reluctance to, to even allow myself to think about myself mm. as a writer and... It wasn't until I wasn't able to do that anymore and I still had such a strong compulsion to be writing and to write that I kind of rethought what my practice was and then that's when it kind of turned into more of a long-form one. Could you could you talk to that? Because I think... Um, I'm pretty sure there'll be people listening to this podcast wondering about that, right? Mm. So there might be in comms, there might be a journalist, there might be a content creator, however they want to name that part of it. But the idea, like, what is the change in the mindset in order to become a writer? You mentioned long form, of course. But what else is it that changes in you to be someone that can produce a novel or a book or a long-form piece that isn't the same as the kind of content that we're more used to on a daily level? It was a very slow mindset change for me, I think. And I think it went, it was more to do with being more self-directed, I Mm -hmm. think, because I think when when you're a journalist or when you're a content creator, you're almost always working within the bounds of something or with other people to realise 
perhaps somebody else's vision or what is required. And that can be, I think that's kind of almost where a lot of the creativity comes from because there are these boundaries of like what you need to do to work within. But when I started thinking that I might like to write a book, that the way I thought about that was actually a lot more the way I thought about dance and when I used to dance and how I used to create dance and that was more thinking about kind of themes and issues and narratives that were important to me or interesting to me or even ones that I'd been exploring like in my more short form journalistic writing but how I might be able to do that in a different way or a more creative way and what that looked like was completely up to me and so I think yeah it was just a shift in the way that I was thinking about the same sorts of ideas and how I might be able to give shape to them Mm -hmm. and what that might look like and that not being determined by anybody else. And did you have that plan, the bigger plan, so to speak, you know, the longer Mm. narrative, all those issues and thoughts you wanted to explore? Before you started writing, did you already have that kind of mapped out, so to speak, almost like a decision box or whatever else it might have been? Or did you somewhat have an idea of it but not exactly the end then you begin the journey and as you go along the path gets clearer Mm. and then you eventually go now I know how this is going to happen so is it is there an evolution within the writing or is it a planned writing to sorry it is or it is writing to a planned project with an outcome that you can already see can you see the whole thing in your head Mm, it depends it's very different for me so my writing is auto-fictional so it's Mm -hmm. a blending of kind of memoir and fiction so I'm always dealing with myself and my own life and things that have happened and people I know so when I wrote my first book which is based on my partner and I and her transition she's transgender and how that changed our relationship I as all of that was happening I just knew that I wanted to write about that. And so what that was, I don't think I knew or realised. I just knew that's Mm. what I had to do. And then over time, as I kind of was well enough and had enough mental capacity to think about that properly, then that more started to take shape of what that might look like. But I'm much more... Uh, maybe intuitive. I don't know. I feel my way through. Mm. I'm not a hyper planner. I I usually have an idea of like where something might the threads go. It together. Yeah, just yeah. like a rough. But I let it be hazy in the back of my mind, and then I kind of figure it out by doing, which is a very dance way (laughs) of thinking about things because we, so like in a contemporary dance practice, we might have an idea or a theme or something that we want to create a work about and we might go away and read things about that or think about it or talk about it with each other and then with all of that 
in our minds will then come to the floor and then start to feel out what that movement might look like and play with that and experiment. And I think my writing process is very similar in that I'm always thinking about Mm. it. I'm reading other things. I'm talking to other people and all of those things are just percolating away. And then when I sit down to write, that's when it all figures out what it's meant to be. Do you think it'd be different if you set out to write pure fiction? Yeah. Do you think it'd be different because you would come up with an idea and a storyline and then you go, yes. that sounds great, and now let me work yeah. through a way to make it richer? But because um, there is a certain amount of self-reflection and diagnosis yes. and discovery, that is not something that you have so clearly, unless you're completely writing about the past and you're so yeah. clear on it. Because you're doing that, you're using the book in a, in a way to guide you through that process mm. because if it took prescriptive you could actually kind of limit how powerful it could yeah. be yeah right? yeah and i think i don't think i could write pure fiction i think i never say never <laughs> i just don't think it's how my brain works or what i'm best at um mm. i i wasn't like i i have always read i've read so much and i love reading fiction but even when we did English at school, like I wasn't very good at writing little short stories or things like that. I'm, yeah, I'm just not very good at being imaginative in that way. But taking things that are exist and that I know and yeah. tweaking, that's my power, I think. So I, I imagine it would be very different. And I tried to write some short stories actually between my first book and the one I'm working on at the moment and I just didn't think they were very good <laughs> and I didn't have a very good time writing them. So I was like, no, I think like this is this is my practice. This is what I'm good at. So the question around that fiction thing, and you've probably mm. got a definition for this, but let me put it this way. If you were to write about the experience that you and your partner had yeah, purely using exactly the things that happened. Yeah. That's not fiction in any means. If you take uh, the situation and it's set in real time with perhaps real names, but you add in uh, elements into it to either illustrate particular methods, speak or whatever else, that becomes partly fiction. Yeah. But what about in a situation where you take that experience that you've had, you completely remove it from yourself in terms of names, positions, Mm. you set it somewhere else, completely different people, yeah. In another time, whatever yeah. else. Does it does then it become fully fiction or not? Um, Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I think to me I would probably think about that as fiction and that's okay. not something I would be able to do. Oh, okay, see, <laughs> I, I don't think. I thought that you'd be very much able to reflect on the real experience. Yeah. And all you're doing is fueling the fiction component with that but yeah. almost masking it so that it's not in any way related to you apart from i guess the insight. yeah i don't know why but that's <laughs> <laughs> that's not something i feel like i would be able to do at all because i think all writers whatever genre or yeah. type of writing they're doing <clears throat> you are drawing on yourself mm-hmm. but yeah there's a varying degree of distance between who you are as the writer and who you might be as a character or um, that you bring into the work. and But for me, they're all the same thing yeah. <laughs> and I, I can't separate them. I understand. I don't think. Um, 
so yeah, I don't think I could I could take it, it has to have that, yeah. Yeah. A real, uh, yeah. And yeah. Well, by that notion, I, do you know the book All Quiet on the Western Front? Yes. Yes. Do you know if that's got apart from well, I, I guess I'm gonna ask you that question. So yeah. just in case I don't know how well you know it. <laughs> but it's just because I watched a movie the other day and of course I read it when I was at school. Mm. Um and it's interesting that how much more I got out of it. Kind of watching the movie because it brought back a whole bunch of things yeah. that I got out of the um the book at the time. But is th- is that that's fiction, right? That I believe so, so and that, I don't think that person had a, a personal experience. Yeah, of that war. person didn't exist. Yeah. However, the battles and the situations yes. historically yes. in time are completely all true. Yes. Yeah, yes. So that's kind of sitting in a space that you. Well, okay, maybe yeah, not. So would you be comfortable of. with that kind of position, even though you were not technically there, but you're talking about things that really did happen, and you're placing fiction around it to thread it together? Into yes, narrative? I. Probably feel more comfortable with that, but okay. I don't know if I could even write characters that aren't some version of me. It's, sure. Yeah, it's interesting in the new book that I'm almost finished. It's about me and my brother, so mm-hmm. there's two characters, and I could write my brother's character because I know him so, so well. well, and we talked about it so much, and we've had a really lovely conversation throughout this whole process and he's read the drafts and helped me uh I guess make it more authentic to the character Mm -hmm. version of himself but I don't know I guess as I develop as a writer maybe that will change and maybe I'll be more interested in trying to like invent a character or get into somebody else's head Mm -hmm. or feelings but I think the thing I'm always interested in is kind of understanding myself and the people around me better and then connecting with other people through that um, rather than like trying to escape myself through invention. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd probably put to this is therefore the work is exceptionally authentic because it is you, Mm. right? And I think what's interesting is that on the flip side, let's go back to Old Quiet on the Western Front for a yeah. moment. That character, as I said, is fictional, mm. but I presume the brilliance of the writer, and maybe that's why it's such mm. an important piece of work, is the character is built in such a way that we can all understand that human being in every single way, mm. um, which is probably why the book is so raw and, and mm. so emotional and all the rest of it. I'm, what I'm leaning into is obviously the work that you do has the same quality because people reading that, i.e. the audience all of a sudden get into your deep thoughts. They yes. start to think the way that yeah. they do. And that, that realism makes it exceptionally powerful, which makes it for the celebrated book that it is. Yes. Um, and I guess where I'm kind of maybe toying around with this idea is that I just realised that good writers can do both. Yes. And And if, if you've already managed to do this, I'm, I'm not trying to encourage you to write fiction, <laughs> but I could so easily imagine you taking all those learnings in life, you know, whether it's not now, but perhaps in years in the future where you're not writing about direct people around you, but rather your thoughts around that and creating Mm. characters to make that very real. It's it's such a small step for me to do for that to happen. (laughs) And it's so funny that it feels like such a massive one to me. Yeah, but maybe because it doesn't feel genuine to you yeah. now. Maybe that's why it feels like such a big step. It's interesting too because I've been um, working with my new psychologist and – We've been talking about like an adult autism diagnosis for me mm-hmm. and I'm kind of going through that process. And it feels very likely that that's probably true and I think my dad is 
quite autistic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been adding it's like another high lens. Functioning autism is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, I don't think they use those words anymore. Right. It's what used to be uh, Asperger's, oh, right, but okay, now sure. it's like all on the yeah. uh, autism spectrum. Yeah. Um, so that's been really interesting, actually, to like have that understanding of my brain mm-hmm. and then like rethink about my <laughs> process with that because I think probably that is a big part of why I'm always looking at myself and like struggle to look at other people that way or invent other people in that way or translate my experiences to like other characters or or people um yeah so I don't know I think it's just Mm. a weird thing (laughs) about my brain (laughs) yeah and I still think it comes to the fact that you find the ability to talk about that very genuine, you know, and yeah. that's what it is. And, you, and you're not at this point right now wishing to kind of step away from it, you know, or, or make it up or mask it. I, yes. I even used the word before that, which alluded to that too. So I completely understand. It's just a very interesting proposition from from an audience perspective because, you know, if you take Ashley here, mm. like I said, I get equally as involved in a character like that gentleman from yes. Yes. Quite on the Western Front, even though that wasn't real, as I would in, in yours. And... and the, the actual the beauties in the way that it's spoken about and uh, anyway you see what I'm getting at. Yes. So yeah. going to this, um, clearly you must have an ability with words and most certainly expression in a way that taps into other people's mm. understanding of those words and those mm. expressions. When when the book came out, um, by the way, in terms of making the book come out, so to speak. Yes. Did you have a publishing deal? Did you self publish? What do writers yeah. do in these kind of situations? Well. I entered my book into a prize. So I found out about, so Alan and Unwin is my publisher Mm -hmm. and they run a prize for young writers under 35 and I think I was 33 at the time. So I was like nearly at the top end and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And it was a very similar uh, (laughs) thing to when I decided to start Laden where I was just like, oh, yeah. I'm going to write a book and I'm just going to enter into this thing. And so I did. So I I started working on the manuscript and I had that as the deadline. And I didn't really have any expectation of what would happen. So it's called the Australian Vogel Literary Award and people like uh, Tim Winton and like Kate Granville have won it before. So it's really like meant to be like a – yeah, like a platform to kind of get sure young people into the industry. And I entered into that and about three months later I heard from them and I was kind of just waiting for that time to pass and I thought I'm not going to hear anything. When I know I haven't heard anything, then I'll like sit down and figure out what I should do with this thing that I've made. But then I did hear from them, and I can still remember it so well. I was at home. It was like a weekday. It's like in my pyjamas still. And I was watching a movie, and I was just like sitting on my rug in the middle of my floor. And I got this email, and it was from Annette, who's my publisher, and it was just asking to have coffee with me. And I just like burst into tears and like had such a big cry because I just couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't believe that I was even hearing anything 
And then I, she came down from Sydney a few days later and then came and met with me and then told me that I'd actually won the prize. Yeah. And I think because I'd had, like, such an emotional response to her email, I was, like, much more together and, like, in my in-person meeting. And then it all just happened from there. So it was really a whirlwind process and I worked. So Annette gave me kind of what's called a structural edit, so it's kind of, like, big picture kind of feedback and they asked me to add another 20,000 words to the manuscript and I had I think I had a month to do that so I just worked really hard to rework the manuscript and add more in and I decided I didn't want to go past the end point that I had so I had to add more kind of to the whole thing yeah and that was a really interesting process I actually really enjoyed that process and then we do like the line edits so kind of all the grammar Mm -hmm. spelling repetition like more fine granular things and again I found that a really interesting rewarding process and then it went off to the printer and that was kind of all in the space of like three or four months so it was really fast and then having like the conversations about the cover and what that would look <laughs> like and then uh, being connected with the publicist and like starting to do all this advanced media. So it really was, yeah, a whirlwind and kind of like they just throw you in the deep end and you just have to figure it out and do it. And then as part of that, winning that prize and that contract, um they will get to look at what my next book is, which I'm about to finish, right. and hopefully they'll like that and they'll take that too because I've really loved working with them as a publisher. I feel like they've really been very kind uh, and supportive of my work. Since that was your first book, would you define the success within that as, A, finishing it, because that's the mm. milestone, some personal milestone, two, mm. Um, winning the prize or three, Mm. the audience reaction? Mm, That's such an interesting question. I'm really proud that I I wrote it and I think even if nothing had happened, I am really proud that I did that, especially Mm. given the kind of emotional (laughs) and mental state I was in at the time. Like I'm really, yeah, proud that I managed to do that. And winning the prize was amazing not only like for the financial reasons of just like having a good chunk of money and also then the publicity that came with that because not only was I getting publicity because of just having won the prize but then also because of the subject matter and what the book was about um I was very lucky that that was being picked up by a lot of media So that was also hugely transformational for my career. And then, yeah, being able to connect with people and having people read it and send me messages, like I keep them all, I save them all. Mm. It's really, it still like makes me cry nearly every time I get one just to think that like some stranger has read my work and felt compelled enough to contact me about it because I've never contacted anybody (laughs) about a book that I've read that's touched me so much. And now I I think completely differently about that and I try to because, yeah, I just think of all the things I've read that have, like, touched me and I would 
never think <laughs> to tell that to person. Yeah. yeah, so I now, yeah, I now try to do that as a reader and I feel very moved and grateful when people contact me. Mm. So really the answer is all of the above. Yeah, I think all of them. I can't yeah. pick one. <laughs> I mean, the reason the reason they maybe asked that is uh, you kind of mentioned the word disappointment earlier in the podcast and I yeah. wanted to know whether there was an expectation that came, you know, with writing the book that the success of it is defined by a particular thing, right? Yeah. But what's interesting is you were talking about how personal the book is and in many ways it's part of your own self-journey and healing mm. and everything else. But I guess the fact that you've won the prize and on top of that you've get that kind of audience reaction just beautifully compounds the happiness that comes from doing that and I guess proves yeah. to you that you are in the right space or at least a space that you definitely belong in, like you just said, you know, 30 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. I think it was very affirming because I think, I don't know, I'm, I am I keep putting myself in these spaces where I, I feel like I want to be and I know what I want to be doing, but because it's not the thing that I studied or or did, I I always feel anxious <laughs> about yeah. it or like I'm not meant to be there. But I think that was very affirming for me to just be like, okay, no, like I am good at this. this is, this yeah, is I can do this. Um, can yeah. I ask this question? I hope it's not a hard one. I'm mm. not leading this in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, but when you do put the second book out, mm. do you think you'll compare the statistics of how the first book did against mm. the second in terms of, I don't know, uh, purchase, whatever statistics you get, yeah. which I'm not quite sure what that is, but uh, downloads, uh, obviously yeah. purchases, uh, distribution, media exposure. Yeah. Do you think you'll competitively compare them to figure out in some commercial sense, whether yeah. this is a successful thing and whether do you think whatever the outcome of that is, whether you don't care or you do or it's positive mm. or negative, whether that will impact on the third thing you will do. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm not sure. I think I can feel how much I've grown as a writer between my first book and this one that I've been working on and I feel really proud of it mm. and I think I hope it will be successful and that people will be interested in it but you just I don't know you never know and uh, maybe, I mean I'll maybe get that one will be a fiction one that's right <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> I mean I do get like you know all my royalty statements and all of that and I I keep record of like all my media mentions and all of that and yeah. I try not to set much store on it but I feel like it's useful to have that information, but I don't think I ever want to let it determine what I do in mm. a way. Like I still I want to do the thing that I feel like I need to do, um, but I still think having that information is useful. So I don't know. I I mean, I hope it would be more successful because I feel certainly – I've grown and it feels stronger as a work. Mm. But if it's not, I think that's okay. I I certainly, like I already know what I want my next book to be. Great. So I feel like I'll just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it, it helps having my brother, even though he's younger, 
he's so much more advanced in his creative career than I am. So he's like a mid-career artist now and I feel like I'm still just <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> so having seen the, you know, peaks and troughs and ups and downs and of, of his career, I think I have a fairly hopefully realistic <laughs> idea that, you know, you can't be always bigger, 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 bigger. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but I, I just I just want to keep going, I think, and not let any of that kind of overshadow what I might do, if that makes sense. Yeah. And look, if it all falls apart, you can always go back to finish your degree somewhere, yes. use the credit from the <laughs> bachelor and become a GP. Yes. Well, like- <laughs> every year, this is my second year. So at the end of last year, I was like, okay, if I haven't earned enough money from writing, I'll just go back and get a job. And yeah. I didn't have to. And this year I'm still going. But I think at the end of each year, I'll just be like, okay, am I earning enough money? Like, mm-hmm. is my quality of life what I want it to be? Sure. Like. And, you know, yeah. I can always go back and get a job. You've always got that backing, which is, yeah, which is great. Yeah, if I need to. Hopefully I won't, <laughs> but you never know. Um, one last question, yeah. and I hope I asked this the right way. You obviously talk about uh, the challenges that you've got in life um, in many ways, on a personal relationship level, obviously, mm. in terms of the diagnosis that you're mm. speaking about as well. Um, it would seem to me that you've clearly managed to, despite that being challenging, I am sure, harness the power of that, uh, to tell a story, mm. you know, to tell a story for the benefit of the people, for the benefit of yourself, mm. as we discussed. Do you think if you didn't go through those challenges, uh, do you think you'd still be the same kind of writer? In other words, I'm mm. trying to figure out whether in some way exactly you've managed to harness what can be very challenging mm. situations and actually turn it, if I can call it that way, mm. into a positive mm-hmm. um, or at least in, into a dialogue mm. that is very important to you and other mm. people that that has been positive mm. based on the outcomes of the book um oh yes but yeah would it have been different do you think if if this is would have been an issue wouldn't have been resolved didn't exist in this way do you yeah. think you still would have ended up where you are i don't think i would have mm. actually i i don't think i would have i think i've realized that writing or even I guess if I think about writing as an art form, that is part of my healing and processing and communicating. So if I didn't have that outlet, I think I wouldn't be very well (laughs) at all. Uh, So I think it's very important part of yeah, I guess my healing and my processing. And for whatever reason, I it's how I kind of communicate what I'm going through with other people and how I connect with other people. And that can be hard to do kind of in person or interpersonally. Sure. And so like writing something is a way to kind of have that connection but in a kind of lower pressure (laughs) way. So I think, yeah, having like the problems with mental illness that I've had and and, uh, the nature of my relationship with my partner, those things, I don't know, it's all so entwined. Like I wouldn't have been able to get through those times if I didn't have writing as a thing that I did. 
And then my writing wouldn't be what it is if I hadn't gone through those times. Mm. So I feel like they're all so interconnected and it's probably another part of why it's so hard <laughs> for me to even think about like writing about exactly. kind of purely fictional Fiction, things yeah yeah no completely that makes sense and i think it goes back to the point too that you know the the difficulty with which many of us have with talking about personal issues mm. um and you know it's interesting that you're saying it's easier to write about that than it is to have this intense conversation with a psychologist or a friend or whatever else. I think what's interesting about the book is that you're essentially helping others to have a voice as well because they might relate, they might see Mm. your perspective and realise they're not alone. But in a way, you're kind of doing some of the work for those who are also afraid to speak about it. Um, So it's an interesting proposition in that respect. Um, But I guess I'm trying to put it in in the very positive light that it is, that that tackling this, discussing it, communicating mm. with other human beings, whether it's directly or through mm. creative means such as this, is exceptionally helpful. And and even though you're talking about yourself, you're, there is most certainly a benefit to others, which is why the book has been so celebrated. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I hope so. I really hope so. And I think it is something I think about, like, for whatever reason, this is a thing that I feel able to do and have the means to mm. do. And lots of people don't. And yep. These are things, like particularly with that first book, that I wish there had been something like that while I was going through what I was going through because that would have helped me tremendously. So if I can do that and that's something, yeah, that's possible for me to do, then I hope it can be, yeah, helpful for other people. No, it's fantastic they had the courage to do it too. I think that's the other aspect of it. Um, thank <laughs> look, thank you so much for the chat. I think this was fantastic. There's quite a few other things I could have asked you, but, you know, <laughs> trying to keep this under an hour. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, no, it you was know, lovely. People get hungry. I love talking about this sort of stuff, so it was really sure. lovely. Look, I wish you all the very best. I'm, I'm going to be watching your career, and I hope you can remember <laughs> me when you're super famous. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right, take care. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Emma Batchelor on Behind the Bio. I hope you enjoyed an insight into this creative individual. If you'd like to know more about the books or everything else that she's involved with at the moment, which, by the way, is plenty, then I suggest you go and check out her website, which is emmabatchelor.com.au. There's plenty of things written there, including all the organisations that she's part of or supports. It was actually a great coincidence that I ran into Emma and was able to do this podcast as a couple of months ago, one of the listeners actually reached out and said, hey, would you mind doing a writer as that is something that I'm really interested in. So there you have it. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group again for making all of this possible and I hope you can join me next time on Behind the Bio.